coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. Happy Tuesday to you. It's been Monday in my head all day today because yesterday was kind of an off day, but it kind of wasn't for a lot. And uh, if you didn't get to listen yesterday, well, a happy Juneteenth to you. And by the way, yesterday... I rather enjoyed getting to catch up with an old friend of mine, uh, Donald Gilliard, who is uh, an author and historian of sorts and activist, local activist back in uh, coastal South Carolina. So we talked a little bit about how we both kind of came to know what Juneteenth even was late in life. Interesting, right? Not, not so odd that someone who is like me, you know, a white male, wouldn't know about it. Really curious that Donald, who is a few years older than I am, and a black man didn't learn about it until he was, uh, I think he said the 1990s, I think while he was in uh, uh, the prison system. And so he worked within the prison system to get Juneteenth federally recognized within the prison system at the very least, so that there could be commemorations within the federal prison system. And now we know since 2021, it is now a federal holiday. I, I just, the conversation was sort of fascinating uh, concluded yesterday's show, the second half of the show, with a recitation of a Frederick Douglass Independence Day speech given on July 5th of 1852 in Rochester, New York, his home city. 1852, Frederick Douglass gave this Independence Day speech because he was invited to give the speech. Bad idea. <laughs> Frederick Douglass brought fire and didn't hold back. Again, about, what was it, a little more than 11 years before the Emancipation Proclamation, 13 years before the Civil War uh, ended the Confederate States and slavery as we know it within all of the United States at the time. Frederick Douglass, 1852, invited to give an Independence Day speech, and he gave them all they asked for and more. Anyway, that's the entire second half of yesterday's show. You can hear that in its entirety at ronshowatl.com. You can also catch it on any of your podcast platforms, and uh, we'll let you get right to that as soon as we get through today's show. So when we left last week, we were all kind of shell-shocked a little bit at the news that Georgia Public Broadcasting, GPB, would be ending Political Rewind with host Bill Nygut, which had been on the air for, I think, a decade or so. That show going away at the end of this month. And while I can't share with you the audio from today's show... Bill addressed it just a little bit and was pretty magnanimous. I joined, by the way, a Facebook group that is, uh, I guess, a, a group of fans who follow Political Rewind. It is uh, the, the group is called uh, Political Rewinders Unwind. <laughs> and I've gotten a chance to uh, talk to and meet some fantastic folks. There is this effort to reach out to the GPB folks, uh, the de facto, I guess, the, the temporary uh, director for Georgia Public Broadcasting. Uh, and, and you can find that Facebook group and join it if you'd like. Again, it's Political Rewinders Unwind, in case you are uh, looking to kind of catch up. Uh, Lisa Keys uh, posting in that group this morning. I listened to the first part of the show this morning and appreciated how Bill handled it with more class and grace than the decision deserved. While he said it will not be reversed, I hold out hope. 
she uh, called to cancel her sustaining donation. A lot of folks in this group have said that they're going to do that and was told that they are getting many calls. Uh, GPB Radio, by the way, has been suffering from, uh, you know, a deficit of sorts over the last few years. Uh, Georgia P uh, Public Broadcasting Television side has done a little bit better in fundraising of late. Also, it caught my eye over the weekend uh, that uh, a local freelance writer, Brian Bannon, had a, just a, a, a thorough thread uh, on uh, Twitter that I shared, at Ron Show ATL on Twitter as well, that kind of goes through a lot of uh, uh, open records requests and communications, emails, etc., and so on. He really lays out uh, a thorough synopsis of how we are where we are with this show going away, not just in Atlanta public radio. This is Georgia Public Broadcasting with their affiliate stations throughout the state. This was one of the few, if any, dialogues on the radio that didn't come with a bent of one way or the other. And you, you, you and I, we all know that if you are nonpartisan, you are partisan to the MAGA wing of the GOP. Uh, Brian's uh, tweet thread starts, uh, here's a thread of some of the blogging about Georgia Public Broadcasting to give some context to the cancellation of Political Rewind. First highlights from an open records request for communications between uh, Georgia Public Broadcasting and the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Oh yeah, there's been a lot of back and forth between these two. Uh, He goes on to say, this was the period GPP obtained daytime control of student-funded WRAS. That is true here in Atlanta, WRAS, in a what he characterizes a sleazy backroom deal. AJC reporters, including those that had covered Georgia Public Broadcasting over its hiring of Senate Majority Leader Chip Rogers, began appearing on Political Rewind and other GPB shows immediately. Brian goes on, Nygut appears to have been Taya Ryan's liaison to the newspaper. Taya Ryan at the time was the CEO and president, now former president and CEO at Georgia Public Broadcasting, just to provide some context. The AJC was eager to get its own branded programming on the new NPR affiliate. In 2014, Cox owned WSB Television and Radio and several other Atlanta radio stations. There appears to be a word missing in this tweet, but I think the gist of it was, uh, Brian was saying, if the AJC was into audio reporting, it had ample platforms. But it if it wanted to associate with the NPR brand rather than right-wing WSB radio, ironic, getting on a new NPR affiliate would make it possible. He goes on, next, here's something on Fox News, leasing space on GPB's headquarters beginning in 2004, soon after Republicans came into power in Georgia. He shares an article from his uh, writing at medium.com. Follow it, look at the GPB-AJC relationship. The close relationship begun in the Taya Ryan era needs to be kept in mind when the AJC reports on her retirement and the, quote, ousting of Bill Nygut, who was a Ryan surrogate to the AJC. Again, he's got another link. He's done so much reporting on this. Uh, he goes on, on the emergence of Steve Bannon, tied local media in Georgia following the 2020 election. Another link there. And those outlets later attacks on GPB. MAGA media and state Republicans did try to retaliate against Georgia Public Broadcasting, but mainly its political reporter. He goes on, on the 2021 attempted state budget cut, Ryan considered, quote, a swipe by Senate Republicans for its perceived liberal bias. There, we've got another media article. Brian Bannon has been all over this. Can't wait to get him on the show at some point in time. I'm trying to track down an email address that's really hard to find, uh, both on Twitter and elsewhere, Medium. 
uh, on the resignation of two GPP commissioners later that same year. Those were unrelated to the funding cut. The two were just ineligible to serve, something no one in state government bothered to notice for three years. The AJC never reported on the resignations. He's got that article. On Governor Kemp's appointment of a former Republican state senator involved in pseudonymous, pseudonymous, is that how you say that? Email scandal to GPB's board. Cecil Staten also had ties to WSB radio host and Kemp ally Eric Erickson and previously owned conservative media outlets in Macon. Uh, some Q&As with GPB officials over its January meeting and delayed release of its fiscal year 20 state audit. The audit information may be important as it seems to show GPB has lost money on radio overall, even if, as Bluestein claims, Political Rewind was its biggest audio fundraiser. Bannon goes on to tweet, I don't doubt that since it's the only original daily show left after the canceling of Second Thought, since debuting on WRAS in 2014, GPB has lost money on radio multiple years, even when it's had successful fundraising years on television. Ryan goes on, keeping Nygut on the air seemed to have been a main priority of GPB under Taya Ryan, even as other efforts stopped and started or flailed around. No one got more billboards and bus wraps than his show. Meanwhile, lower profile staff turnover was frequent. Brian goes on, on this year's cuts to GPB's state budget and its various possible reasons behind it, including as a proxy swipe to the AJC. He goes on to share another link to that where he covered those budget cuts. Another article on Ryan's retirement from GPB and its April board meeting. Ryan uh, Ryan did not attend the public portion, nor did anyone from the AJC or other news outlets. Brian Bannon has been all over this story. That's why this thread is such a share, a worthy share, by the way, at Ron Show ATL. And uh, Brian says, on my belated learning that WABE's new CEO is related to a former Cox Enterprises executive and AJC publisher. This, he says, is significant to my concern that even non-Cox media outlets don't hold Cox accountable for things like its shenanigans with Georgia Public Broadcasting. And then he gives us this. To be clear, my own politics are progressive. This is Brian Bannon talking. Not MAGA, but I was never a fan of Political Rewind considering it the soundtrack of Georgia's old boy network and political slash media cronyism. Even after efforts to diversify its panelists, its origin story remained, and you can't steal your way to credibility. It's, quote, civil discussions reek of what the right wing calls elitism and leftists call the professional managerial class. Entitled to the end, there's more comment, including from Georgia Democratic Party over the cancellation of Nygut's show. Then the unionization efforts at the legacy daily newspapers in Athens and Savannah. I'm not sure if Georgia political followers actually support a free independent press or just a friendly access one. He then concludes, nonetheless, charges that its cancellation is political are serious. Maybe Georgia Senate Democrats and Georgia Senate Republicans should hold a Senate hearing. Whew, that's a lot to go through. You got the gist of most of it just from what I read you. But again, I implore you to follow at uh, Ron Show ETL on Twitter and read the full thread for yourself. We have, by the way, touched base with the moderator of the Georgia Political Rewinders Unwind Facebook group. Uh, she seems to be a fairly nice lady by the name of Cindy Simpson. And uh, we will have her on the show, hopefully later this week. I hit her up really late uh, in the day today, and she's like, oh, "I don't know about going on the air." You know how folks can be. I don't know about going on the air. You've got to tell me what this is all about. Um, and I'm 
I'm, I'm putting panic in her voice that may not be there. She may actually be quite level-headed, and she just wants to be thorough and knowing what she's walking into before she goes on the air, and I don't blame her one bit, but hopefully we'll have her on the air to discuss uh, the future, if there is to be one, of Political Rewind on perhaps uh, another medium, whether it be on a blogosphere, uh, in the blogosphere or on podcast form. I believe the show had been podcast. I think there's a podcast after the fact, right? Yeah, I'm sure on the GPB app and whatnot. And then if Bill, and I'm sure Bill knows how to do this, if Bill wants to podcast it, uh, then I'm sure there will be a waiting audience because I see, again, this uh, Rewinders Unwind. How many people do I have here? Uh, 518 members and growing. By the way, I believe it's grown by 100 just since the news broke last week that Political Rewind would no longer. And by the way, Greg Bluestein, one of the new, one of the new Political Rewinders Unwinding on that Facebook group. Anyway, we've got more of the Ron Show after this on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Ron Show for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. Thank you for listening, whether it be on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com, or wherever it is that you're podcasting, or if you're listening directly off the website at RonShowATL.com. Look at you being able to do that. Uh, I was uh, out... Today, today's been a crazy day, by the way. I've had, uh, let's see, uh, family money drama. I've had uh, softball league drama. And then, of course, there were uh, aiding my, uh, my clients with uh, my handyman. That was, that was actually the, the, the highlight. Of, that was the highlight of the day. Getting to hang out with my buddy Greg on the front porch, fielding calls and texts and frantic DMs and stuff like that for all the other drama while just getting to hang out with my friend Greg. That was the most calming, soothing part of the day. And there was a dude drilling inside. <laughs> there was a dude drilling noisily inside. That was a highlight of my That tells you how my day has gone so far today. I did go down to uh, Fairburn and show uh, a few houses uh, to a, a new buyer. It was nice to meet her. Hi, Courtney. How are you? Um, let's see, we're going to go out and do that again tomorrow because the rain was coming and I had to hastily get home to get this uh, show together, but, uh, we'll be out tomorrow looking at new places. Um, as I was driving back, I was listening to, I think it was fresh air on NPR, WABE, by the way. I mean, I listen to GPB. I'm not, I'm not one of these, like I'm boycotting. I, I'm not a sustainer. I don't, I'm not a donator anyway. Uh, I, Sometimes feel guilty about that. And sometimes in situations like now, it's like, eh, maybe I shouldn't have all along. Um, but I was listening to Fresh Air coming back, and there was this segment that was talking about the crux, the conundrum, the the which way are we going that the GOP is going through right now when it comes to climate change and green energy. Brian Kemp, to his credit, has had a lot of successes getting the... EV industry into Georgia, right? And by the way, there was a, a new uh, Pratt & Whitney Columbus plant coming, 400 new jobs uh, announced. Uh, trying to read through this real quick. They specialize in aircraft and helicopter engines. Okay, so that's not really green energy, but he has been that Republican guy who's been scoring EV and solar jobs in his state. I was kind of chuckling because I was listening to a little bit of the story. And I believe, again, it was on Fresh Air Nationally, but I believe it was a WABE story that they were broadcasting. So kudos to the folks at uh, uh, WABE. I believe the reporter used to be a neighbor of mine, and I think his last name changed. Uh, so uh, my, I'm drawing a blank right now. I was listening to some of the sound bites from state politicians that talked about how the green energy sector has to learn to speak Republican. Hmm. 
that is that is code. That is code for, well, you guys have been coming at us all tree huggery and save the environmenty and attacking fossil fuely as opposed to it's the economy. That's that's literally what that's about. So what I find kind of funny about that is that code that what he's saying, well, the, the green energy sector needs to learn to speak Republican. I've sort of been kind of saying this all along that Democrats need to come at the rural and Southern and uh, even like the West Virginia voter. Democrats could own West Virginia for generations to come if they told West Virginians, we're going to make you the green energy sector. These jobs you're afraid about losing, that you're dying in coal mines by the age of 50, instead of worrying about those job losses, what if we made you the green energy sector? These EV plants that are coming to Georgia, they 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 could be going to West Virginia instead. But see, again, we, we, we've blown that. And now we're at a point, Democrats, where you may be losing the green energy uh, argument if you aren't able to do as Brian Kemp is doing and corral some of those green energy jobs. I just thought it was kind of funny that this one, I can't remember the politician's name. I just heard it on the show. Oh, he's got to learn how to speak Republican in order to, 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 to win us over. You know, it's about germs, right? It's about create. It is about creating jobs. It is. Unfortunately, it's not about saving the earth. It's not about your kids and grandkids living in a, uh, on a planet that is sustainable to humanity. It's, it's, it's about jobs. Okay, fine. So it's about jobs. Whatever the case may be, there is still that internal divide within the GOP because presidential candidate, presumed leading presidential candidate for the Republican Party, Donald Trump, is rallying around the notion that he's going to shut down electric vehicle manufacturing, all while Brian Kemp is bringing electric vehicle manufacturing to the state of Georgia. This is delicious. Watch as this unfolds, pop your popcorn, and continue watching. That being said, on the left, you have comedians like Trey Crowder, who really puts the right in its place when it comes to climate change. Take a listen to this from June 8th. Well, a lot of Canada's on fire right now, the smoke from which is ruining the air quality in much of the eastern U.S. Thanks a lot, Canada. What, you can't just shoot the fires to death like we do? <laughs> now, jokes aside, the situation has resulted in some truly apocalyptic skylines. Mm -hmm. New York, for example, looked like at any moment a bunch of white people in bondage gear might roll through in a convoy of murder jeeps, yes. huffing spray paint and shredding flamethrower guitars. It was downright dystopian. Mad Max. You might think that any adult human would gaze upon such nightmarish vistas and think to themselves, well, well, that ain't good, but you'd be wrong. Mm -hmm. According to a sizable chunk of our galaxy brains, this situation is, at best, no big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they downplay it like, oh, don't get your panties in a wad, liberals. Every now and then, half of a continent just needs to choke on the embers of a smoldering earth, okay? <laughs> it's all part of the Lord's plan. What, you don't like campfires? I'm ready for some s'mores, right? They either do that, or if they do care about it, it's for all the most wrong, boogity-boogity reasons, claiming that this is just the latest gambit in the globalist grand climate scam agenda. <laughs> You know, anytime the idea of climate change being a hoax comes up, I always wonder what the motivation is supposed to be there. Like, what do they think? That half the world's population and 97% of its scientists are 
colluding with big bicycle to make trucks illegal. That way everybody has to drive a Prius, which turns them all gay, which ends the concept of masculinity. Like, is that the end game? Apparently. Yeah, that must be it. No way is the explanation that we're all looking around at this environmental chaos and becoming increasingly concerned about the world our children stand to inherit. No, that's crazy. It's far more likely that the scientific community is in bed with the windmill industry because they all secretly hate birds. Apparently. Sure. As a Southerner, it particularly drives me crazy that conservatives don't believe in climate change because where I'm from, conservatives love the outdoors. Right. They do. I mean, that's where all the animals they like to shoot live. You know, they get dressed <laughs> up and pretend to be the outdoors, right? <laughs> Yet, if you tell them the outdoors is imperiled by greed and industry, they say, yeah, that's what the Jews want you to think. It's uh, maddening. And I would ask what it's going to take to make them give a shit, but I already know the answer is that nothing will ever be enough. I mean, mm -hmm. trees could be exploding, oceans could be boiling, and these people would just sit there like that cartoon dog from the meme, yep. sipping coffee and telling themselves this is fine, this is fine while everything burns down around them. And honestly, I would be kind of okay with that if not for the fact that everyone I love lives in the same building. Right. Jesus Christ. Yeah, well, Jesus himself even had a few things to say about protecting the earth, but we'll save that for another day. All right. More Ron Show after the break on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Thank you for listening. Archived audio, blogs, social media links, and more, all in one place. Log on at ronshowatl.com. The Ron Show on America One Radio. By the way, if you listen to this show via podcast, well, thank you. I appreciate that on whatever podcast platform you prefer to. I appreciate it 100%. I will say this, however, if you ever want to listen to the show live on America One Radio, as you heard the voice guy say, uh, you can do that. You can download the America One Radio app. That's all one word, America One Radio, uh, on your um, Android device or the uh, the Apple iTunes store. And I got to say, I'm kind of excited. I haven't, I haven't opened the app in a while myself to listen, but exciting new features coming. I'm digging that. So uh, congrats to Jeremy Brasile and the uh, the app developers for working on making the America One radio app, you know, sizzle a, a little bit. Yeah, that's what I'll say. I'll say it sizzles. It has a little sizzle to it. Um, let me turn that off so that you don't hear any audio. Com oh, there's no audio coming from it. Um, so you've got a now playing feature. It'll lead you to the website, their Facebook, Instagram. Uh, it's even got the schedule. You can see what's, uh, what's going to be playing on America One radio at some point in time. Let's see what else. You, oh, look at that. The advertise feature as well. I'm liking that. Um, let's see what else you got going on there. Um, yeah, all kinds of cool little links uh, when you download the America One Radio app. All right, enough about that shameless self promotion. Let's promote. <laughs> let's promote Fox News, where uh, host Brett Baer had a one on one with Donald Trump, and it didn't go well for Donald Trump. And congrats to Brett Baer for being a Dare I say, journalist? Take a listen to this exchange. In 2016, you said that. I'm going to surround myself with only the best and most serious people. Well, I did do that. This and we time, had tremendous, look, we had the best economy <laughs> we've ever had. This the world time, has ever seen. Your Vice President Mike Pence is running against you. Mm -hmm. yeah. Your Ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. 
she's running against you. Mm-hmm. Your former Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, said he's not supporting you. You mentioned National Security Advisor John Bolton. He's not supporting you either. You mentioned Attorney General Bill Barr. Uh, says you shouldn't be president again. Uh, calls you the consummate narcissist and troubled man. You recently called and uh, Barr a, a gutless pig. Uh, your second defense secretary is not supporting you. Called you irresponsible. This week, you and your White House called your White House Chief of Staff John Kelly weak and ineffective and born with a very small brain. You called your acting White House Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney a born loser. You called your first Secretary of State Rex Tillerson dumb as a rock. And your first Defense Secretary James Mattis the world's most overrated general. You called your White House Press Secretary Kayla Kennedy milquetoast. And multiple times you've referred to your Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao as Mitch McConnell's China-loving wife. Okay, first of all, why am I suddenly hot for Brett Baer? Dude, where has this been all our lives? Chuck Todd, by the way, on Meet the Press over the weekend, too, giving it to Mike Pence. Where has that Chuck Todd been all of our lives? Chuck Todd on the way out now from Meet the Press, on to do other things, I guess, with NBC. Where has that Chuck Todd been? Where has this Brett Bayer been? Also, how did Brett Bayer get all that out of his mouth without Donald Trump blithering all over him? Because you know, Diarrhea of the Mouth Man was just ready to start spewing some nonsense in the midst of that, and yet Brett Baer got it all out. I'm I'm not even altogether unconvinced that that wasn't recorded when Donald Trump wasn't in the room or voice dubbed after the fact because Donald Trump didn't interrupt him. How how the hell does that happen? So, why did you hire all of them in the first place? Because I hired ten to one that were fantastic. <laughs> we had a great economy. We had phenomenal people in charge of the economy. Need I remind him and anybody else who's listening that by most, if not all, economic margins, the first three years of the Trump presidency, this is not accounting for the pandemic collapse that he also uh, presided over, but the first three years of the Trump presidency, by almost all economic margins, trailed the three prior years, the last three years of the Obama presidency. We had phenomenal people in the military. I'm not a fan of Milley, and I'm not a fan of certain of the television people. But I knocked out ISIS. I defeated ISIS. They said, Mattis, it would take three years, and I don't think we can do it. I did it in a period of, like, four weeks. Trump, by the way, is disagreeing with Trump, who, by the way, I believe this was October 28th, 2019, according to RollCall.com. That is a military website. Trump walks back claim of defeating 100% of the ISIS caliphate. At a law enforcement event in Chicago, the president says the figure is closer to 70%. So he, he can't even agree with himself. So there's a lot of people who praise you for your policies. I just said true. that. That's true. Well, I mean, you just <laughs> went through a list. But don't forget, for everyone you say, I had 10 that love us. And I'm not even playing the audio from when he essentially confessed to hanging on to top secret documents. There was this one exchange where he talked about how the boxes had like his clothes and shoes and socks and underwear too, maybe toiletries. It had everything in there except top secret information or maybe top secret information too that he apparently waved a magic wand over and declassified but didn't tell anybody except himself while he stored it on a stage or in a bathroom at Mar-a-Lago. That sort of incriminating stuff, by the way, called into question as to whether or not that could be incriminating when that trial goes to trial. And by the way, the judge that he appointed said that that trial will begin in August. 
he has a right to a speedy trial, after all. August is not going to be a good month for Donald Trump, if that is to be. Because there's also word now that Fulton County District Attorney, Fonnie Willis, has been looking into ways to make sure everything is nice and neat and tidy and secure at the Fulton County Government Complex when, I don't know, something might draw some media and folks and protesters and uh, anti-protesters. I can't imagine what that would be for, but it's supposed to happen in August as well. Not going to be a good month for Donald Trump. But then again, he hasn't had a good month in quite a while. Quite a while. Maybe February 2020? Is that the last good month Donald Trump had? We're hearing a lot of noise, by the way, about the two-tiered system of justice in the country. Here is House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy. My first reaction is it continues to show the two-tier system in America. If you are the president's leading political opponent, the DOJ tries to literally put you in jail and give you prison time. If you are the president's son, you get a sweetheart deal. Now, this does nothing to our investigation. It actually should enhance our investigation because the DOJ should not be able to withhold any information now saying that because of pending investigation, they should be able to provide Chairman Comer with any information that he requires. But Mr. Speaker, this is a Trump-appointed U.S. attorney that's held over into this administration. Why won't you accept it's done. a thorough investigation and to just accept it on its merits given the person who investigated it? was a thorough investigation? So, so, why so would you, you, I'm no, asking you. But I'm asking you. So you believe it's a thorough investigation? I'm asking you. Do you think it's equal and fair that a political opponent is going to be given jail time, but a presidential son, and if you compare this to other individuals in America that have these same um, accusations against them, same crimes that they had been guilty of, that they were proposed to have 10 years, another time period, I think that's a difference in justice. That is Kevin McCarthy reacting to word that Hunter Biden is going to plead guilty to a federal tax charge, a misdemeanor, by the way, and striking a deal on a gun charge. CNN reporting that Hunter Biden, the son of President Joe Biden, of course, will plead guilty to two tax misdemeanors and struck a deal with federal prosecutors to resolve a felony gun charge, the Justice Department reporting Tuesday in court filings. Uh, CNN goes on, as part of the plea agreement, the Justice Department has agreed to recommend a sentence of probation for the two counts of failing to pay taxes in a timely matter for the years 2017 and 2018, according to sources. Hunter Biden owed at least $100,000 in federal taxes for 2017 and at least $100,000 in 2018, but did not pay what was due to the Internal Revenue Service by the deadline. A judge will have the final say on any sentence. But while we're talking about a two-tiered justice system, our good friend John Stewart, I thought, made a really cool point. Let's listen in on this. But if you really want to know what tier Donald Trump is in, let's look at an actual fraud we know he was guilty of. He used his own charitable foundation like a piggy bank, or as it's sometimes known, embezzlement. Shocking pattern of illegality, including unlawful coordination with the Trump presidential campaign, repeated and willful self-dealing, and much more. He stole from his own charitable foundation. How much more could... What, did he also nut-punch a priest? Like... (laughs) How are non-Trumps punished for something like that? Well, some get two years in jail. Some get five years in jail. Some get 10 
years in jail mm -hmm. for stealing from charitable donations. That was uh, from The Problem with John Stewart, which airs uh, occasionally. I don't even know how often it comes out, but I do watch it when it comes out on Apple TV+. So this news came out from over the weekend. The Washington Post reporting that uh, this exclusive, a Washington Post investigation found that more than a year would pass before prosecutors and FBI agents, FBI, by the way, headed by Chris Wray, who Donald Trump appointed, FBI agents jointly embarked on a formal probe of actions directed from the White House to try and steal the election. Even then, the FBI stopped short of identifying the former president as a focus of that investigation. The thread continues. And by the way, I shared it at Ron Show ATL on Twitter. A wariness about appearing partisan, institutional caution, and clashes over how much evidence was sufficient to investigate the actions of Trump and those around him all contributed to the slow pace. That is your two-tiered system of justice. And that, by the way, also shows that there hasn't been this institutional witch hunt to try and get the tan man from something political. In fact, this shows, the Washington Post investigation shows, that it's because of the political nature of one Donald J. Trump being a former president and being an, again, candidate for the same office that he lost, popular vote twice, that the FBI and the Department of Justice was kind of ham-handed about whether or not they should even give this a go. So there you go. We'll have all this in today's show notes, by the way, at ronshowatl.com. All right, going to take a quick break. Coming back for our last segment, you're listening to The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Hey, don't just listen to The Ron Show. Support The Ron Show. If you and your business would like to have your advertising done on this show, you know, it's pretty easy. You can drop me an email, ron at ronshowatl.com. You can also call me anytime you like, 404-919-2725. You can also just be a listener if you don't have a business. I mean, that would be most of you, right? Follow us on your preferred podcast platform by following any of the links we've got provided for you there on the podcast tab at ronshowatl.com. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, links there for you as well. Welcome back. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. And when I tell you this was just a hastily thrown together show, it airs live at five on America One Radio. When I say it airs live, it, it first airs on America One Radio before we go to the podcast platform. So however you listen to it, thank you for listening to it. I do appreciate that. Uh, however, it is not live. It is pre-recorded and thrown up on a Dropbox folder and it airs when it airs at five o'clock on America One Radio before I then Take it to the podcast platforms. Uh, I started on today's show at like 4.30 p.m. No guests lined up. It's all me winging it and wheeling and dealing. So uh, I apologize if this sounds hastily thrown together and you're hearing the hems and the haws that come with that. But I, I am a former radio broadcaster, but I also had like three and a half to four minutes of songs between anything I'd ever say. So I could perfect what I was going to say never scripted it out, but I always perfected what I was going to say before I would go live on the air. Talk radio, whole new ballgame for me. Well, at least since last October anyway. So that's why you get some of the uhs and the hymns and the, and the... That's just the way it goes sometimes when I don't have time to really polish this show. So today is what you would call an unpolished show. There you go. A little behind the scenes for you. Uh, the headline from the AJC, No elections take over the Georgia... Elections Board has decided not to put their little smudgy fingerprints on the Fulton County Election Board. It was a unanimous vote, by the way. 
by the state election board today, which means there will be no state takeover of the elections process in Fulton County. This, of course, long been a discussion, and more recently after the 2020 presidential race, where, you know, who alleges things were going on illegally, and you saw what happens, and blah, 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 blah. None of it came to fruition. (laughs) It, of course, pitted Donald Trump against the governor and the state elections folks, the secretary of state, uh, uh, Brad Raffensperger, and even Gabriel Sterling from his office. It it made a lot of people famous that we didn't even know before. Uh, The board concluded, according to the AJC, that Fulton County, a bastion of Democratic voters, made significant corrections to election operations over the past two years during a performance review started by Republican state legislators under a voting law that passed the General Assembly in 2021. This story continues, though state elections board members voted against replacing Fulton's bipartisan election board. They also urged the county to continue its progress in preparation for next year's presidential election. Let's scan through the rest of this article and see if Coffee County even came up. Fulton County... 2020, state election board member Matt Mashburn, poll watcher Fulton, said it was a remarkable change at the county under the performance review. They were dedicated. Oh, here we go. Coffee County, where election workers allowed Trump supporters to copy Georgia's statewide voting software in early 2021. And why is nobody, you want to do two tier justice? Why is nobody in jail for that? Anyway, Coffee County has not been subjected to a performance review or threatened with a state takeover. The lawmakers who represent Coffee County are Republican and didn't ask for a performance review. Interesting. Let's see another story that caught my attention. And I'm always leery about reading about Cop City on the AJC because the parent company of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, Cox Enterprises, is a big-time monetary backer of the Atlanta Police Foundation who is heavily pursuing and contributing to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility proposed to be built in southwest DeKalb County. So there seems to be a little bit of an issue, and we've had uh, one of the legal counsel folks for uh, the Stop Cop City Movement, Alex Joseph. We've had her on the show a couple times. She's explained the process. Last week, she explained the whole referendum kerfuffle and why uh, the city was kind of delaying the tactic a little bit, uh, using a delay tactic a little bit. Seems like on the surface it might have been legit, but now I'm starting to wonder if this is true. Uh, the, uh, the, fo- the opponents of the training center have been trying to file referendum petitions. The original one now has been flatly denied, and that denial comes on the same day the Cop City Vote Coalition announced legal action against interim city clerk Vanessa Walden. This according to the <coughs> Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Where did that come from? <clears throat> asking a Fulton judge to force Walden to approve the original petition following a delay in the approval process. Last Friday, City Hall, unannounced to anybody, not in advance, City Hall was closed early. I believe it was noon. It's closed at noon, and then a memo went out, hey, we just let non-essential people go. Unannounced. So there was an effort to try and get this petition uh, drafted and approved by the city to use so they could get out on the street and get signatures, an entire three-day weekend went by without that possibility. Because again, City Hall, unbeknownst to anybody up until that point in time when people walked up to locked doors, 
closed at noon on Friday. I get it. Some people like to. I used to work at a radio building back in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I swear to God, y'all, before a four-day weekend, if a four-day weekend was coming up for a holiday or something like that, Thursday at lunch, we were the, the salespeople were gone. All us radio people who were on the air trying to scramble to get commercials on for that long-ass four-day weekend, we would be there until like Thursday, 11.59 p.m., trying to cram that stuff in at the last minute that they just lobbed at us. So I get it. Folks like to close early, unannounced. But when you got a petition out there, I'm sorry, Miss Clerk, Miss uh, Vanessa, you, you got to stay there. So anyway, this statement, we regret that City Hall has made litigation necessary. That from Kurt Kastorf, the legal counsel for the Cop City Vote Coalition, uh, in a statement that they released. However, there is still a path forward for the city if the clerk promptly approves our revised language directly addressing their latest concerns, doing so would best respect the boundaries of their war- role within the process. Another statement, the clerk's rejection today confirms what we already knew. The city of Atlanta is attempting to block the referendum effort and continue their ongoing pattern of silencing the voice of the people through whatever means they can find. That from Mary Hooks, an organizer with the Cop City Vote Coalition. She continues, if these concerns were genuine, the clerk would have raised them in their first response or in any of the many communications we have had with her office. The AJC article states, according to the group, the clerk gave them three reasons as to why the petition was rejected. One was the addition of a single word, and the other two are not actually required under law, according to the group. We're not asking the clerk to do anything more or less than the legal minimum. Approve the petition form and let us go about the people's work. That from Mariah Parker, who filed the original petition This is yet another one of those situations where the narrative gets owned by the opponents to the Atlanta Public Safety Training Facility because of, do you call it mismanagement? Do you just call it lack of self-awareness? I don't, I don't, I just don't understand. And in fact, the, 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 the cop city vote folks, I think they rightly argue in the story. It says that each day the approval is delayed they should be credited to the time organizers have to collect more than 70,000, I think it's 70,500 signatures for the referendum to be placed in the November ballot. Once the signatures are collected, the city council will have 50 days to determine the petition, the petition's validity. Again, this is just, like I said before, it's another one of those deals where the narrative is escaping the grasp of the city that's trying to make the case that this public safety training facility needs to be built and that the city council and mayor Andre Dickens have the support of the citizens of the city of Atlanta at their back. Fine. If they do let the referendum pass, stop with this. Oh, this word here. And Oh, this, this is a semicolon. It should be a comma. Stop, stop, stop doing that. Tell the clerk, pick up the phone, call the clerk, Vanessa, stop screwing around with the petition. Approve the damn thing. Get it out on the streets. We believe we've got the will of the voters at our back. And if we're wrong, we're wrong. Boom, done. That's it. I mean, look, I just I just managed to do that in less than 30 seconds. Let those folks get their petition out. I mean, this is just, this just goes to show, I'm telling you, this is all about narrative and the narrative just continues to weigh in favor. This is why more and more people wind up looking at the Stop Cop City folks and going, you know what? At first I thought y'all were a little crazy all camping out in the woods and whatnot over, you know, some some trees and some land that nobody really cared about before. But now I'm starting to see 
that there does seem to be this collusive, governmental, deep-pocketed thing going on behind the scenes. This, this is the narrative. This is how you lose a narrative. And if Mayor Dickens and the, 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 the 11 on the city council that uh, approved the funding for this want to get on the right side of the narrative, well, first of all, you're, you're, months, you're months too late. Seriously, you are months too late. But this is the one way you can get ahead of it. If you are confident you are in the right and that your citizens have your back, and you are confident you can even campaign to ensure that this referendum goes your way, let the damn referendum happen. Stop with these delay tactics. This is juvenile. This is animal farm Let it go. Get that referendum out and let the people decide. That's going to do it for The Ron Show. Back tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Ronshowatl.com for all you missed.